Here it comes. Here comes the disenfranchised podcast. That's right. We're that podcast all about those franchises of one, those films that fancy themselves full-fledged franchises before falling flat on their face after the first film. I am your host, Stephen Foxworthy, and uh, joining me as always, uh, a regular demon on wheels, always chasing after someone. It's my co-host, Brett Wright. Hey, Brett. Hello, Stephen. How are you? How are you this fine day? I am great. How are you? I'm doing all right. Brett, before we get started, I have a very serious question to ask you. Sure. Go ahead. What and and it is, it is, I, I cannot understate the seriousness of this question. And I'm just going to, I'm just going to come right out of the gate with it. Um, Brett. Yes. Does this movie rule? This movie absolutely does fucking rule, Steven. It fucking snaps, just slaps. I love it so much. I, why did I sleep on this movie in 2008, Brett? Why have uh, I slept on this movie for the last, like, 12 years, 13 years. Because a lot of people did. Because it came out the same weekend Iron Man did. Yeah, we're going to get into all of that. I'm, I'm sure we'll have a great long uh, treatise on the state of the uh, the film industry at some point during this episode. Um, but uh, holy crap, this movie's incredible. I had so a, good. I had such a good time. So did I. I mean, I remember watching it maybe a couple years after it came out. Um, and... Even then, I don't think I appreciated it as much as I did this time. It's just a damn good movie. Yeah, I, I, oh my gosh, I just, I had, I had a blast with it. Um, so there it is. There's the band aid right off. You can breathe a sigh of relief, Brett. <laughs> uh, I did because I'm, I'm watching it and I'm going. Stephen is either going to love this movie or he's going to hate this movie, and I don't know which way he's going to go. I was, I was cackling every time that that child looked at a piece of candy. I was just. <laughs> And every time he and the monkey somehow, or the, I'm sorry, the chimpanzee somehow managed to make a similar facial expression. Um, <laughs> like I was, I, I bought into this movie so immediately. And you know what I think it is about this movie that really sucked me in. I'm just, we're just getting right into it. We're not even, yeah, let's go. We're, we're not even doing anything. Let's go, go disenfranchised podcast. But we are, um, but I think I think what it is is this movie, in terms of its color palette, in terms of uh, some elements of its tone, is it's it's Dick Tracy. I mean, this movie is just a 20th century Dick Tracy, which is probably why I loved it to the extent that I did. Yeah, now that you say that, like some of the editing they do, mm -hmm. like the transitions with like the character in the foreground. Yep, I love stuff that. happening in the background. That's all that, that is was very great. Dick Tracy. That is very Dick Tracy. Yeah. All the the very the very bold primary colors that make up everything. Uh, I mean, obviously, Dick Tracy is a little more practical, a little more nuts and bolts. But I mean, just the, I mean the the bold colors, the incredible CGI, uh, like the immersive CGI. Like it is, it's a it's a cartoon world with real people in it, just like Dick Tracy is, which, again, is probably why I was so, hey, now, as soon as this movie started, uh, would I have been as sold on it in 2008? I don't know if I would have, but holy crap, in the year of our Lord 2021, this movie just slaps so hard. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like it feels just like Dick Tracy felt very much like a comic strip come to life. This is probably the closest Hollywood has ever gotten to like bringing an anime to live action because, man, they have failed that so repeatedly. Over I was going to say there have been so many attempts at that kind of thing. There will be some attempts that we will actually be able to discuss on this podcast at some point. But I mean, just just yeah, it, it felt very much like the the anime that it was derived from. 
um, while also feeling like its own separate thing. Uh, and you can see the Wachowski's fingerprints all over this thing. Uh, so for those of you who don't know, uh, there's a new Matrix movie coming out this weekend uh, as of the release of this episode. And so we're talking about another Wachowski's film. Uh, if, if you haven't read the um, uh, haven't read the episode description, just, you know, click this blindly. We haven't really mentioned what episode what what movie we're covering. Brett, what, what movie are we covering this week? Oh, we are covering 2008's Speed Racer. Yes, we are. 2008's Speed Racer. Speed Racer. What am I doing? 2008's Speed Racer, uh, directed uh, and written by uh, Lana and Lily Wachowski, uh, also uh, based on the animated series Speed Racer by Tatsuo Yoshida, and starring Emile Hirsch, uh, Matthew Fox, Christina Ricci, uh, Susan Sarandon, John Goodman. Uh, the This is one of those instances where the... IMDb is sorted by an order of appearance. So I'm like literally combing through this, looking for people that I recognize. Um, Art LaFleur has a cameo in this, which I thought was really funny. Uh, Richard Roundtree is in this as well. That's kind of fun. Uh, Shaft himself is uh, is one of the racers. Uh, let me see. Air, young Ariel Winter in, in what I would only assume is a really early role for her. Kick Gurry is in this movie uh, playing uh, Sparky. Christian Oliver as Snake Euler, Polly Litt as uh, Spritel, uh, the best character in the whole freaking movie. Uh, the great Roger Allum. I will have to come back to him because I'm a big fan of his. Uh, Rain. Uh, Hiroyuki Sanada is in this movie. Like, this cast is insane. There, it's another movie with Peter Navy uh, Toya Sosopo uh, after uh, Speed or Speed Racer, Street Fighter. Um, which is another movie that we've covered on this podcast before. Uh, ben O'Freerman, uh, just a, a, an absolutely stellar international cast to, to bring this really fun story to life. Go Wachowskis, uh, go Speed Racer. That's that's what I have to say. Yeah, the and not only is it a stat cast, it is like a perfectly cast movie. Mm -hmm. like if, you, if you go look at what the characters look like in the anime and compare them to what they look like in this movie. It is spot fricking on. Mm -hmm. It's incredible. Yeah. It, oh, so speaking of the anime to, to circle back to how we usually do things around here, Brett, <laughs> uh, what is your, what is your familiarity with, uh, with the speed racer? Uh, the, were you, were you a fan of the manga? Were you a fan of the original series? Like, what is your familiarity uh, leading up to, uh, prior to, and after this movie? Hey, look, man, we're just excited about this movie, all right? Um, so, all it is. yeah. Uh, so, it's uh, Speed Racer is one of those uh, building block animes that I, I would refer to. You, you got your Speed Racer, your Dragon Ball Z, your Dragon Ball, uh, and your Sailor Moons. Those are the like the core animes that people of our generation grow up on. If you're into anime, maybe not you so much, but not me so much. Yeah, yeah. If you're into anime, those are the animes you grew up on, and you know later you get your. I find your lack of I find your lack of uh, inclusion of Superbook a little disturbing, but okay. I don't even know if I'm familiar with that one. I have uh, talked about it on this podcast before. It is, I th I think I've talked about it on this podcast before. It is, uh, it, it was a Bible anime. So it was like the first anime I ever saw growing up is about these two children and their toy robot uh, who go back in time 
Um, and then eventually I think their little brother joins them as well. Uh, but they go back in time and interact with biblical characters. Right. I do believe you have mentioned this before. Yeah. 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 Um, I don't know how long ago, though. When was the last time we talked about anime on this podcast? Was it all the uh, way back in Alita, or have we talked m- about it since? It might have been Alita. I feel like I've referenced it since then, but that may have just been in personal conversation because, you know, we, you you and I do talk on occasion. Um, it no, it might have been... No, it might have been... It might have been... It might have been Aeon Flux, although that doesn't sound right. Yeah, I'm looking through here. There's not a lot of uh, occasion for us to discuss anime, really. No, but we we talk about so much. We do. We are vast. We contain multitudes. It's indeed. It's, it's who we are. But uh, but yeah. So you know those those are the building block animes, and then later you get your Cowboy Bebop's, which also recently got its own live action adaptation. That uh, fans which, are again predictably super chill about. Yeah, I haven't watched it because I'm afraid to, because uh, I love Cowboy Bebop. It is one of my favorite animes, and uh, I was hurt by the death note netflix adaptation and <laughs> sure. i don't want to be hurt again I, well uh, i mean maybe 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 it's time maybe it's time to be hurt again brad i don't know uh, look i don't know i don't know if it is um, okay i mean touche i mean you're gonna live your life your way that's that's all we ask so yeah but uh but you also got your outlaw stars your full metal alchemist your yu yu haka shows etc that's what came later but so i you know i'm a pretty big anime fan so I definitely watched some Speed Racer. Would never have guessed based on that list that you rattled off the top of your head. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? Uh, but yeah, but I mean, it, you know, I'm I'm watching it later because like it ended in like uh, 69, 70. Mm-hmm. So I'm definitely watching, you know, it in syndication and reruns sure. later. But uh, really, honestly, what, what I would like to reference, though, is that I am familiar with a cartoon that was potentially inspired by Speed Racer that this movie kind of reminds me of. Hmm. And that is uh, Wacky Races. Yeah, there, there are. there's definitely some Wacky Races in here. That I did grow up with. Hanna-Barbera was a staple uh, oh, for yeah. me growing up. Um, very, very foundational. So I am familiar with the Wacky Races. Um, but yeah, like every... Uh, particularly that mount or that uh, that cross country race that they do, that one particularly felt uh, very wacky races inspired. Like most of the teams had like a theme going on. There was the Viking theme, the the ladies in pink theme, the the snake theme. My favorite was when he shot the the cobra into the dude's car. Uh, that <laughs> yeah. was pretty great. Um, but I mean, uh, you know, there are all these various teams like that have kind of an inspiration around them, just like the Wacky Races, where you've got, you know, the caveman team and the Penelope Pit Stop and her pink car. Like it had a lot of and then, of course, all the wacky gadgets that would come out of the car to cause other cars to wreck or whatnot. Yeah, which I think, it, yeah, the movie is more inspired by that than the cartoon was. I don't think I don't remember there being a whole lot of crazy gadget shenanigans in the races in the in the anime there might have been it's been a very long time sure but uh i think there might have been some some conflation of the two things there which i was all about i think it added a lot of dynamic to the race scenes in this movie which are just incredible this movie is so kinetic it is always moving but it's not always moving to the extent that you're just exhausted by the end of it like it takes moments 
like a good, like a well-paced movie should to stop and slow down, get to know your characters, have these human moments for them to interact with one another, talk about the theme of the movie, the capital T theme of the movie. Um, and this movie does, I think, all of those things really well. And it's maybe on par with a movie like uh, speaking of movies that are just this kinetic, uh, something like a Mad Max Fury Road or a even like a train to Busan, a movie where the characters are in almost a constant state of motion, uh, something we referenced when we did our train to Busan commentary. But I mean, those those movies still allow their characters like time to slow down. But the race scenes are beautiful, absolutely gorgeous, completely well composed. Um, yes, they are almost entirely CG. They are the most cartoony element of these cartoony movies. And I am totally at peace with it. It's really, really freaking fun. And just the way that those cars move, like kind of like real cars, but also like no real car that has ever existed before. Um, it's absolutely fantastic. It's absolutely incredible. I mean, I am here for it. Yeah, I think I read that they, they designed the cars um, so that the wheels move 180 degrees so that they mm -hmm. move differently than regular cars so they right. when they're driving they're they're drifting around every corner and there's so much drifting in this movie oh my gosh so much drifting the third fast and the furious movie is jealous it doesn't have this much drift i really <laughs> for serious um and yeah like I, I also read that maybe the reason that audiences didn't like this movie so much is because seeing it on a big screen was hard to take in uh, there, there's a lot. There were some moments even watching it on my 4K TV, which, of course, makes it look gorgeous. But, you know, there were some moments where I'm like, oh, if I didn't have if I had if I had my motion smoothing on, I wouldn't be able to handle it. It would be just maybe one of the worst experiences of my of my life. But with the motion smoothing on, like but particularly the scene in the cave where you actually can see all the different um, like the the lightning coming off of the cars and things like that. Um, I can see why that would be really hard to watch, particularly on a large screen, like maybe like an IMAX screen where I'm sure this, this played uh, early on in its run. Yeah. I don't, yeah, it might've been very hard to watch on an IMAX screen just because of the visual stimulus coming at you at all times. Sure. I mean, my worst IMAX experience was, you're going to laugh, uh, Transformers 2, um, the second Michael Bay Transformers movie. Uh, you're not laughing, but I am getting uh, notes of judgment in that look. So, you know, whatever. Yeah, that was <laughs> correct, yes. It is the last Transformers movie I ever saw. I, I was out on the franchise after that, uh, in part because, A, it's a terrible movie, but B, um, because the experience of watching it was so terrible. My dad and I saw it in IMAX, and that movie is so kinetic, but in such a way that you can't tell what's actually happening. Like on this um, in this film... Uh, 2008 speed racer all of the action is choreographable like you can see what's happening you can tell because the cars are all differently colored because everything the, the way everything is moving the, the way things pop off the backdrop you know exactly what's happening to these cars at any given moment in transformers you're just watching gray stuff punch gray stuff and tumble around um, which on a screen that large sitting as close as we were uh, was unbearable so yeah, it's um, always been my problem with the Transformers movies is yeah. once they transform into the robot form, you can't tell what the hell's going on. I, and I, I think the first one was a little easier, but I don't know what it is about the second one. Uh, the second one also has robot testicles. Um, so there's that. 
uh, which I don't need. But uh, but no yeah, one does. No one, no one does. I there's no reason for robots to have testicles, um, unless you're just Michael Bay and are like, you know, it'd be cool, big old balls on that robot, yeah. And everyone's like, I mean, sure, Mike, whatever. We're we're paying you for your tourist vision. Um, sure, <laughs> sure thing. Uh, I don't know if I'd ever put Michael Bay and our tourist vision. Uh, he's the same sentence at at best he is a vulgar auteur like you can tell when you're watching a michael bay movie like he's got a style i don't know that he really has anything to say but he definitely has a style like the wachowskis the wachowskis have a style i would call speed racer an auteurist vision uh, and it is also their blank check after the matrix movies their career is pretty wild um prior to prior to this movie and we will 100 percent get into it because it it needs to be gotten into. The Wachowskis' attention must be paid. Not the last time we'll talk about them on the podcast, but it is the first. So we should probably do a little a little digging into the Wachowskis, the Wachowski of it all. So true. Yeah, absolutely. But yeah, I mean, it, it we've we've talked a lot about this movie already. Let's say we actually get into the plot of this movie. Eighteen minutes into this podcast, yeah, um, let's do it. I mean, we might as well. Uh, so uh, we're gonna go ahead and flip the coin of justice. Because I because a it's the coin of justice and uh, as much as I may not like it it knows what it's doing so uh, Brett go ahead and call the coin of justice in the air the coin of justice will determine by the way for those of you just listening uh, which of us Brett or I will recount the plot of uh, this movie 2008 Speed Racer in 60 seconds or less it's a little thing we call the plot in 60 seconds so Brett call the coin of justice in the air tails it is heads the hey look justice. at that. Loves me today. You switched it up, and for that, I'm grateful. No, I always call Tails this season. Okay. Don't I? You've been calling. I thought you'd been calling. I don't I know. I'm calling Tails. Don't it make doesn't me go matter. back. Don't make me go back and listen to old episodes of this show. Uh- <laughs> I don't remember anymore. It's, look, man, it's the end of the year. It is. Things are winding down. We've got. Uh, we've got so much to do this month. We've got. Like between the main feed and the Patreon, we just, man, we're burning it at both ends. Yeah, so I'm tired. I don't remember what I call anymore. Who cares? It doesn't matter. <laughs> it doesn't matter. I It really doesn't. I've got 60 seconds on the clock. Uh, so, Brett, whenever you are ready, uh, let me know and we can uh, recount the plot of Speed Racer in 60 seconds or less. Sure, I'm going to do it blind without a Wikipedia in front of me. So let's hope I don't what? screw it up. Madness. Yeah. Matt, I haven't you done did, it in a while, so... I was going to say, you did just just watch this movie, so it is still pretty fresh for you. Yes. So, uh, your time starts right now. Okay, so uh, Speed Racer is... Uh, oh my god, I've lost the plot already. Um, his brother dies, um, and trying to do the right thing, and so uh, Speed has to... Uh, do his, get his own racing career and he tries he gets courted by a really big company um, but he doesn't uh, agree to sign with them because he's evil and it's real that companies run the racing circuit um, but 30 seconds uh, it turns out it's run by the mafia too and uh, speed goes on he races but he does a bunch of races and trying to stop them but it doesn't succeed until the end when it does succeed and family is great and good Ten seconds seconds. in the end. <laughs> and there's a chimpanzee that does funny stuff. 
wow, this really sucks. <laughs> that wasn't the plot at all. What, what was I doing? Man. You, Can I just start you, over? I'm going to edit this and start over. Let's do it you're, again. You're very rusty. No, don't edit it. Leave it in, but I will give you a shot to do it one more time. No, Le- I'm not going to do that. No. Leave, leave all that in. No, absolutely. I will leave it in, but I'm not going to do it again. It's fine. All right. Um, so yeah, that, um, I guess kind of resembles the plot of, of 2008 speed Racer. Ladies and gentlemen, the worst plot in 60 seconds we've ever seen. <laughs> You're welcome. I got to compose myself. That was incredible. Oh, I was so laughing. Tired. I, so I don't tired. doubt it, man. <laughs> I don't doubt. It. I am too. I just, I just live in a constant state of exhaustion anymore. Yeah, uh, I meant to watch this movie last night, and instead I ended up uh, drinking uh, whiskey and gin and going down a uh, TikTok rabbit hole. So I had to get up early and watch it this morning. <laughs> You'll love to see it. I mean, you truly do. You truly, truly <laughs> do. Um, but yeah, so 2008 Speed Racer. Um, this is this is the big follow up for the Wachowskis to uh, the Matrix films, and it was supposed to be the big summer blockbuster of 2008 as i recall the so they their career begins in the 90s so they go to warner brothers with a film idea for what would eventually become the matrix uh and warner brothers is like look that's a cool idea we're in we're down here's the thing though we're not just gonna give you guys the reins of a multi-million dollar movie until you've proven yourselves as directors. And so the Wachowskis uh, direct the film Bound, uh, starring Gina Gershon, uh, Jennifer Tilly, and uh, the great Joe Pantoliano, Joey Pants himself. Um, and that movie it does well enough that they're like, okay, you guys can now do The Matrix. So The Matrix is their second film ever. Uh, which is kind of insane. Um, that one is, of course, I, I don't know if you guys know this or not, um, maybe the biggest movie of the late 90s. Um, what many consider to be the best movie in one of the all-time best movie years ever. Uh, so, you know, there you go. It was just, just a cultural touchstone. Just yeah. Permeated the zeitgeist in pop culture for years to come. Yeah. When When did you enter The Matrix, Brett? I entered the Matrix uh, before opening weekend. So, Ooh. was that when you were working at the theater? No, this was this was uh, this was pre that. What, what year did the Matrix come out again? I forget. Nineteen ninety nine. Ninety nine. So, I think this is a year. Yes, it was a just uh, a few months before I started at the theater. Um, okay. But I don't know if I've told this story on the podcast already. Or I've not, never heard it, so I don't think I, I don't think you have. Well, my story about how my my dad had connections of ways he was working for like an advertising company or something as a side job, um, where they would send him passes to go see movies early. Okay, I think you may have mentioned that a time or two. Yeah, to either to you, I know I probably mentioned to you personally, but I don't know if I told right. the story on the podcast. But yeah, he would get passes to go see movies, usually the Wednesday before they came out, back when that wasn't a th- normal thing. Mm-hmm. And so yeah, I went to see went to see The Matrix before it came out. 
mm-hmm. on that Wednesday. Even got a even got a nice polo shirt there because they always gave stuff away at these previews because sure. um, they were usually ran by radio stations um, who would give away tickets for you know call in giveaways. Be caller mm-hmm. number five and get tickets to go see the Matrix this Wednesday. Sunday, Sunday, uh, Sunday. Sure. <laughs> Wednesday, Wednesday, uh, so, Wednesday. So they were, you know, they were always giving stuff away. Posters. I had so right. many movie posters as a kid around that time, which I miss a lot. But yeah, so I got a nice polo with the Matrix logo on it. Wore it to school the next day. The envy of every Tom, Dick, and Harry in your elementary school. I'm sorry, middle school. Or were you in high school? You were in high school by that point. Uh, I was a freshman. Yes, that was my freshman. I was going to say because that would have been my sophomore year. So yeah. Yeah. Um, oh yeah, I mean, it was just, it was it was tons of or like sophomore people, junior year, yeah, somewhere. It was ton, tons of people asking me, you know, at looking at my shirt, going, "What's the Matrix?" and me going, I "Cannot tell you what the Matrix is. You have to see have it for see yourself." It for yourself, which is <laughs> maybe the best marketing like line of all time. Yeah, because that that's quite what is the that the whole marketing campaign for the Matrix was built around that idea. Here's the thing: I am sure we have talked all about this in our. Uh, Matrix Revolutions uh, episode that is that dropped yesterday on our Patreon, uh, patreon.com slash disenfranchpod. Um, but we're, we have not recorded that episode yet as of the recording of this episode. Uh, we're going to be recording it next weekend. So we're, yeah. this, this is all kind of organically coming up. But I'm sure we have uh, we've gotten deep into this uh, on that episode. We, we might have. But at the same time, maybe you're not a patron. And to that, I got to say, why aren't you? Uh, you For, sure. Yeah, you absolutely should be. Um, that way you would know if we had said that already or not right yeah. now, you might not, you should go find out. Yes. Patreon.com slash disenfranch pod. Uh, if you join at the, uh, the, the $5 tier, you get access to the new, uh, show that we have on our Patreon, um, unenfranchised. The first episode of which dropped yesterday, where in which we uh, talk with our friend Hope Lickner about the Matrix Revolutions. So you should absolutely check that out. Uh, again, another thing we're doing ahead of the Matrix dropping uh, this weekend. So um, are we excited? Uh, yeah, probably. <laughs> I mean, I know I am. I was always a big fan of all the Matrix movies, always a defender of all three of them. I rewatched them earlier this year when they all dropped on HBO Max. And I got to say, uh, I was a little unfair to the sequels. I think they're actually better than I remember. So I, in fact, I'm looking at the Wachowskis filmography right now. I only have three more movies to watch until I've watched their entire oeuvre. And one of those is the Matrix Resurrections. So because uh, I watched all three Matrix movies, I just need to see Bound Oh, three bound Jupiter ascending and cloud Atlas are the three that I need to see. Cause I watched uh, the matrix movies earlier and uh speed racer for this episode. So yeah. And they're all streaming somewhere too. That's the cool thing. Yeah. Could easily pull that off before this movie comes out. Yeah. So go, go watch their entire uh, filmography. Cause it's pretty great. Honestly, I like all of their movies. Um, yeah. I can agree that some of them are better than others, mm-hmm. uh, but they're all good. Yeah. In their I'm, own way. I, I So after this one, I am looking forward to Cloud Atlas and Jupiter Ascending. And I'm going to break my rule, listener, because as, as I've mentioned on this podcast many times, if there's a movie I know we can cover one day, I usually will hold off on seeing it. But I'm going to see Jupiter Ascending just for the sake of completion, even though I'm sure we will cover it on this podcast one day. Which that'll be fun. Which I do. I got to ask on, on the topic of uh, rules. Sure. Um, Let's really quick, let's maybe jump ahead a little bit, because I I was thinking at the end of this movie, where does a sequel go? 
Well, the 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 last thing that this movie does is tell you the thing that the cartoon can't stop telling you, which is that Racer X is secretly uh, Speed's uh, brother Rex. Um, so I think you explore that relationship a little more. You explore that dynamic. Um, I mean, this movie is entirely a statement on spoilers. This movie is entirely a statement on artistry. Um, it's quietly hilarious that the Wachowskis l- thought the film industry was going to go the other direction than, than the direction it ended up doing. Like 2008 is kind of the linchpin year and the Wachowskis bet on the wrong horse is really what it comes down to. I'll get into all that. Um, I read a David Sims article and I have, I have thoughts, um, but I mean, really what it comes down to is that this movie, well, I mean, again, and it's based on, on a cartoon, it's based on an anime. So you, you take another story, you set it in this world. There's a, a new conglomerate perhaps, or a new, um, a new threat that speed has to overcome a threat to racing, which is in this world, the most important sport of all time. Uh, the most important entertainment of all time is, is, is automobile racing. But you know, you, all of these actors signed on for three movies and all of them were ready to come back and do it again. Like you listen to interviews with like Susan Sarandon and Christina Ricci and they're like, Oh yeah, I do it tomorrow. Like when's the next one? I want to do it. Like they apparently had a great time working on this movie. It's incredibly disappointing. Like, yeah, he's, yeah. So when you've, you've got everybody signed on for three movies, you could get a speed racer trilogy and the studio's just like, you know what? Fuck you. No, <laughs> we, we, we appreciate what you did with us, uh, with, with that whole matrix thing, but we're, uh, we're going to take a hard pass on, uh, on the rest of this speed racer thing you guys are wanting to do. Yeah. Disappointing. Very disappointing, particularly. And, and again, this movie had a lot of things stacked up against it. We'll talk about the box office uh, going in a little later. But I think another thing that really hamstrung this movie is it has all the sincerity of like a David Lynch project, like just that aching, painful sincerity where you're like, this isn't this isn't nothing's tongue in cheek, nothing sarcastic. There is no kind of like knowing winks to the camera, no like, hey, you're in on the joke too. Like everything is just achingly sincere about this movie, which I think is part of what makes it such a breath of fresh air to watch in 2021. Uh, now that we are getting ready to enter year three of this uh, horrible nightmare world that we have, we find ourselves in, um, you know, to find something this achingly sincere, this just very pure and on its face about what it's about kind of thing. Uh, is I think part of what makes it so refreshing to watch now. That having been said, I don't think we were ready for that in 2008, like at all. So yeah, yeah, it definitely falls into um, one of our. We could we could put it up on the board at this point. I think in terms of why did a movie not get a franchise, uh, this one goes into the category of ahead of its time. Definitely, definitely take um, a shot. Yeah. <laughs> it goes. It goes right at home drinking game. Yeah, it goes right up there with, uh, I don't know, what's, what are some other movies we've had recently that were ahead of their time, and that's why they didn't get a franchise. I know we've had some. Uh, we have. because um, um, maybe, uh, maybe Rocketeer was one of them, maybe, I think. Rocketeer might have been one. I think, um, I mean, you, you might put Dick Tracy in that camp. You might not. Space Truckers feels very much that kind of thing. The the disrespected Space Truckers. Buckaroo Banzai definitely falls into that. Our friend Tucker's beloved Buckaroo Banzai. Like there, like there's which, a lot. By the of, way, 
really quick, really quick, I just want to mention this really quick. I was at a comic shop the other day mm-hmm. uh, and saw that there is a manga style adaptation of the sequel to that movie. Uh, yes. That is, a, that is out now. I don't know if it, when it came out, but I saw it at the comic book shop as if it was new. Yeah, they did. Uh, the The writer of that film did write, at, at least I know wrote comic book sequels. I didn't know he had written a manga style sequel, but uh, but yeah. Like the the art style exist. looks very manga anime style. So Interesting. But yeah, sorry, I sidetracked, but it just reminded no, me. No, you're fine. Uh, but I think most of the time what we see on this podcast is very reactionary stuff. And the, the, the reason it doesn't get... Uh, a franchise is because everyone is so tired of the thing that it's doing. Um, but in this case, it feels like this is maybe the Wachowskis are ahead of the curve. And that's why this doesn't get the seat, the franchise that they were hoping for. Yeah. Cause I mean, there's, there's the more common ones. They just didn't make enough money or the studio didn't want to do it or somebody didn't want to write a thing anymore, et cetera, et cetera. But I think the more, the more frustrating ones are when it's just ahead of its time. If it had come out, a couple years later, maybe, mm-hmm. maybe we get a Speed Racer trilogy and everybody's happy. Well, and see, and that's just the this, and that's another thing I think that makes this film feel so refreshing in, in 2021 is the fact that Hollywood's not willing to make those innovative risks anymore. Um, the biggest risk that you can see from Hollywood right now is a movie like Eternals. And that's not so much a risk because it's part of the most successful film franchise in movie history. So, but it's, it's, it's a gamble in that these are not characters that everybody knows and recognizes. So in that sense, yes, gamble, huge gamble, but in, in another very real sense, uh, not at all. Is that a gamble? Like Hollywood's not willing to take a risk on a movie like this anymore. I mean, this thing had like 150, 120, maybe million dollar budget, um, 120 million. Yeah. Uh, budget. Um, so, I mean, that's. That's that's massive, and it, but again, that's off of the success of these really talented filmmakers who had just turned in what was to that point the most innovative film franchise that we had seen in years. Uh, even though the sequels were um, not as well received as the original film, um, and met with I think diminishing returns, both in terms of box office, maybe not in terms of box office, but definitely in terms of uh, critical and audience reception for them to bank that much on speed racer was a bit of a gamble. But again, it's if that kind of gamble pays off, then great. You've got another franchise. You can make these movies for years to come. Unfortunately, it didn't pay off for all the reasons that we've talked about. And ultimately what it comes down to is that the Wachowskis are betting on a Hollywood or a film industry that is more receptive to artistic ideas uh, and uh, auteurist visions. And instead, what we see, which is in- indicated by, you know, the movie that is currently tearing up the box office when this movie comes out, is is the reliance on intellectual property, on IP, uh, which is, of course, signaled by the advent of the Marvel Cinematic Universe with Iron Man, which is currently in its eighth week, number one at the box office when Speed Racer drops, kind of taking all the wind out of its sails. So, I mean, that's kind of where they at, like they gambled and they, they lost. Um, and so that's why the Wachowskis have only made two films since speed racer, why their television show failed after two seasons, uh, on Netflix of all places, uh, and why it's been, 
at least three years since that wrapped for any sort of momentum to be made on the matrix finally getting released the fourth matrix film finally getting released so i mean it's it's a very interesting career but i think this is their linchpin movie like if this movie had gone differently i think things could the last few years in particular would have looked very different for the wachowskis which in hindsight looking at them banking on artistic vision being the way hollywood goes is very naive uh, potentially but again look at their track record to this point like they made one film and it was the film they wanted to make they had the freedom to make it and then on the back of that they make the most successful film of one of the all-time great mo- film years in history uh and basically get to make two other really weird bananas off the wall sequels like I agree it is somewhat naive, but by the same token, given their track record up to that point, it makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I suppose. I guess because again, I'm looking at it from hindsight. Like, Right. At the time, sure. Yeah, you're probably right. Yeah. But looking at it from 2021's perspective, it's like, yeah, no, no superheroes. Well, yeah, we've superheroes had thir- and IP, baby. Let's go. We've had 13 and a half years of of Marvel characters and comic book movies being the norm rather than the exception as they had been for the eight years prior. So, I mean, yeah, absolutely. Like in, in hindsight, the bitter people of us are going, oh, you foolish Wachowskis. But given where they were in 2008. I, it absolutely makes sense. And and honestly, there's a part of me that can't help but wonder, like, what if that was the Hollywood that we had gotten? Like, what if we get, like, another two or three Speed Racer movies that are uh, every bit as visually dynamic and uh, emotionally honest um, that are clear auteurist statements on artistry and what it means to be an artist? I, that sounds like a better world. Maybe, maybe we don't have, maybe we don't have a global pandemic in that world. I don't know. Um, I like to dream. Well, I mean, we probably still do, but maybe it's not just a terrible hellscape of a place. Maybe, Uh, maybe we actually, you know, follow guidelines and, and get over it very quickly. Yeah. Maybe we don't elect a terrible garbage fire of a person. Now you're getting political, sir. I mean, I am a little bit. I don't like to do that on the main feed, but we all look here. We are main person. feed, man. <laughs> I I agree. You agree. Um, and I'm not afraid to say it. That is the stance. Yeah, I'm not going to hold that opinion back. That is the stance of the disenfranchised podcast. So there you yeah, go. But, like, but, but the weird thing, though, on the other hand, is like Speed Racers an IP. Mm-hmm. And it is it could have been a very successful IP that could have mm-hmm. fit in well in. Like if you release Speed Racer nowadays, I don't feel like it does that bad. It seems to, with its visual style and earnest storytelling, that it would fit well within the uh, milk toast MCU storytelling world. It feels like something that would that could potentially get critics and fans excited, um, as opposed to it, because it looks so different from anything else right now. You know, one of the common complaints about the Marvel films, which I kind of agree with, is they all look very samey. They all look like they were shot in a parking lot in somewhere in Atlanta because they pretty much all are like that. You know, this looks incredibly dynamic. Like, yes, most of this is probably done on sound stages, but the way that it's lit, the color scheme, like, there's no color desaturation. If anything, they're ramping those things up. Like 
all of that, I think, works really well and helps to create a really fun, engaging, and dare I say it, interesting film that eclipses anything that we're getting nowadays. You know, like I, at the end of the day, this might not have done well, but I'm glad it got made and I'm glad I finally got a chance to watch it. And I'm now going to find out if it's available in Steelbook so I can buy it and put it on my shelf. Maybe wait till the 4K comes out and get a 4K player and just play the ever loving crap out of it. Because holy crap, this movie's great, Brett. It's so much fun. Yeah, it is. And I'm glad that it got reassessed later. And if I Mm -hmm. recall, it got reassessed almost immediately. Pretty quickly. As soon as this came out onto DVD, it was reassessed right away. Well, and the word of mouth on this was not good. Like it didn't open strong and then it kept doing worse because again, word of mouth was not very good. People are like, oh, it kind of sucks. But then, then also you've got the fact that Iron Man is running the table. Like it is all people want to see. And in another month or two, uh, Incredible Hulk is going to come out and just kind of secure Marvel's dominance. Now that's not a movie that did as well as Iron Man, but I pretty much guarantee you it did better than Speed Racer. Hashtag stay tuned. But, you know, that's that that's kind of, but this was supposed to be huge. Like Warner Brothers banked a ton on this. And unfortunately for them, they lost uh, quite a bit on this one because this did not perform as well as they had hoped. Uh, they didn't even make their budget back on this one. Like there was a huge marketing push behind this movie. There was a new Speed Racer cartoon that got released like they were really trying uh, to, to push this one. And unfortunately, it was a success. Sisyphusian effort in that, you know, they weren't able to get that rock rolled uphill. Maybe if they release it a month or two earlier before Iron Man comes out, mm-hmm. do you think it does better? You think you think it really is it really just the Iron Man of it all? Or do you think audiences wouldn't no. have liked this regardless? I don't think it's the Iron Man of it all, but I don't think the Iron Man of it all helps. Because again, like I said, this movie is also it it doesn't look like any movie that is, has been made up to this point. I remember, uh, so we've mentioned before, we've actually dropped the name of one of their hosts already. One of our favorite podcasts is the Blank Check Podcast. We've mentioned that on this podcast before. They covered the Wachowskis early on in their in their podcast. Uh, but I remember on the Speed Racer episode, Griffin telling the story about him going to see it with his sister, who is very young, and her walking out and kind of looking at him and asking him what he thought, and him saying... I don't think we have a language yet for what they're trying to do. I th- I don't think we as an audience were ready for this movie yet. We're, we weren't ready for this story told this way. I think we're now probably would be more accepting of it after, you know, like I said, 13 years of homogeneity and samey samey from freaking everybody. I think we'd probably be more ready for it now, but Again, the sincerity of it, the bright primary color of it all. I mean, I don't think we were ready to immerse ourselves in this world. And I think for a lot of people, I don't think they really connected with the story. Um, Because again, it's a story about art, what it means to be an artist told by an athlete. And of course, we know artists and athletes are just, they get along so well. Um, But I mean, it's, it's that kind of thing where you're telling a story about what it means to be an artist. Uh, through the eyes of of a, of a race car driver. Um, so, I mean, not everyone got on board with the story of it all either. Like, ultimately, I don't think this would have spawned the sequels they were hoping for, but I think it might have actually done a little better were it not for the Iron Man of it all. I do think the Iron Man of it all kind of hamstrung the thing, 
But ultimately, I mean, it opens number three in its opening weekend. We'll get into the box office later on in the episode, but it opens number three its opening weekend. So Iron Man was not its only problem. Oh, wow. Yeah. So not even number two. Damn. Mm -mm. Yeah. I'm not looking forward to hearing what beat it. It'll probably make me mad. It, it, I can pretty much guarantee it's going to make you mad. Yeah. <laughs> Wonderful. Yeah, love it. I love that. I love that for me. Truly, you love to see it. Um, but yeah. So, I mean, at the end of the day, you're right. Yeah. I don't think this does particularly as, as well as they wanted it to do. But, you know, also, I think this could have, uh, this could have done better. I would have, li- I honestly would like to live in a world where we get a trilogy of, speed racer movies quite frankly i think that would be a fun place to live yeah me too i i love the cast just continuing to love christina ricci and everything she does uh i mean she is she is the gen x goth girlfriend so yeah playing the exact opposite of this and of that in this movie correct i mean she's but she still somehow fits the mold of gen x goth girlfriend even if she's not playing wednesday adams it or, or I guess uh, not millennial goth girlfriend. Winona Ryder is Gen X goth girlfriend. Winona or uh, Christina Ricci is millennial goth girlfriend. Sorry. Yeah, which I I I walk the line of both. Yeah, I'm, no, you you and me both. But yeah, I'm a zillennial as we are referred to. Yeah, zillennial spelled with an X for some reason. I don't know. Yeah, look, man, I don't know. I don't. I just I just live here. Thanks. <laughs> I hate it. Um, <laughs> Um, but yeah, so, um, I don't know, man, do you want to get into the cast a little bit? Yeah, let's do it. Since we're kind of already talking Christina Ricci, uh, who is absolutely beautiful in this movie. Uh, I think it should be mentioned. I mean, when is she not? But yes, I mean, touche, touche. She's yeah, she's absolutely gorgeous. Um, and I'm just like speed, you idiot. Uh, what are you doing, sir? Honestly, if there's, if there's one actor, I'm kind of like "Eh," on for most of this movie, it's probably Emil Hirsch. Like, I think he's doing fine and I don't hate him, but by the same token, I'm like, and maybe it's just the way the character is written, but I, do, I just feel like there's not as much there as there could be. And I don't know if it's him. I don't know if it's the script. I don't know what it is, but I, I would say he's probably the one I have the most problem with. But again, not enough to where I feel like it, it hurts the movie at all, because uh, ultimately I think this movie is great. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I think he's fine. I mean, he. You can only do so much with a very like lawful, good, like pure character that he that the whole movie is mm-hmm. trying to build around and that he's trying to play very earnestly like the rest of the film. Because, look, I'll appreciate this man because when he got the role, he watched every episode of the anime and talked okay. to actual uh, race car drivers to do research beforehand. Okay, So this guy knew the assignment. Um, okay. I mean, uh, touche. I mean, good for him, but again, he comes from so. an, a- he comes from an acting family. Like he's the son of Judd Hirsch, uh, you know, the, the great actor, or I guess, I'm sorry, the, the grandson of Judd Hirsch, not, not the son of Judd Hirsch, grandson of Judd Hirsch, the, uh, the actor from, uh, taxi. I believe that's right. I believe I'm not making that up. He said frantically searching Google. Oh, okay. Google tells me uh, Google or answers.com Judd and Emil Hirsch do not appear to be related. Uh, there is no known connection between the two other than them having the same last name. So forget I said anything about them being related. Um, apparently that's one of those 
things that just kind of gets whispered in the zeitgeist and everyone believes it regardless of whether or not it's actually true. Um, but yeah, there you go. Sorry. Sorry, everybody. Sorry, internet. I'm going to cut off a bunch of tweets in the process there. It's cool. We make mistakes. Lord knows I do. I mean, it all happens. The, all the time. Documented. <laughs> Very heavily documented on this podcast. I say a lot of things that aren't true. Ghostbusters isn't a horror movie. Sylvester McCoy is the eighth doctor. Yeah, all sorts of stuff. I'm glad you remember them all. <laughs> Just... Only because I keep making jokes about it. I, but you know, he, he, I mean, looking through his IMDb page though, he seems like someone who does make it a point to try to put his all into the stuff that he's doing. Uh, like he was in Lords of Dogtown and spent three months training to surf and skateboard. Like he just like, that's just kind of what he he does in terms of, uh, of of being an actor, which is to say he takes the job seriously, which good for him. And, you know, he's he's done some some roles that a lot of people were like, he's just never been someone that I'm really super. Yeah, Neil Hirsch. Like, I'm just like, OK, it's, it's a Neil Hirsch. He's in a movie. That's fine, I guess. And I think may, he may have been if I'm if I'm being honest, he may have been one of the reasons why I was kind of like, ah, do I need to see that when this movie first came out? I guess. But the rest of the cast should have been like, yeah, I should go see that. Sure. I mean, that was before we we entered God John Goodman territory, though. And I mean, Susan Sarandon, uh, your mileage may vary. I think she's very good, but I, I'm not going out to see every movie she's in. And I wasn't as sold on Christina Ricci as most, um, you know, spooky exennials my age or zillennials my age. So it, for me, it wasn't like a this was not appointment viewing. I was kind of like it was one of those things. And I still do it like. I'm interested, but let me see what the word of mouth is on it. And then once that starts to trickle in, I'm like, oh, okay. Uh, I can either go to see this or I think I'll sit this one out. And this was an I'll sit this one out until very recently, until the the reappraisals started hitting my eye holes within the last few years. And I was like, okay, do I need to, re- to watch Speed, R- Speed Racer though? And now that I have, uh, I'm like, why didn't you watch it sooner, you nincompoop? Yeah, I mean, it had... Had a live chimpanzee in it, Stephen. How could you not? I don't care what the rest of this cast looks like. It has a live chimpanzee as a main character, Stephen. True. I mean, what do they say? Never. What's the old vaudeville expect? Never work with children and and animals. And this movie has both. Uh, yeah. Most of their scenes are together. And um, some of the best scenes of the movie. I here's the thing. I I am not someone who's like kids in movies. Yeah. I'm usually like kids in movies are there to be tolerated. If nothing else, every now and again, you get a a kid actor who's like particularly good. I don't know who this kid is that played Spritel, but he's he's great. He's a freaking legend and uh, he deserves all of our respect. His name is Polly Lit. Let's do a Polly Lit sidebar here real quick. He is best known for the movie Speed Racer, where he plays a character called Spritel Racer. Uh, he is also in a few years earlier. He had been 2004 was a big year for him. He was in Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind and Jersey Girl, maybe the best and worst movies of 2004, respectively. Potentially, yeah. I mean, if we're being, he was also at that point on a show called Hope and Faith, uh, which was, uh, I think, Faith Ford and. Kelly Ripa were on that show. And then his immediate follow-up to Hope and Faith was Speed Racer. Uh, he is in something called the Speed Racer Crucible Challenge DVD game, 
which is apparently a video game on the DVD. He's in the movie Doubt, also in 2008, which is a great movie. Uh, Meryl Streep, Philip Seymour Hoffman, Amy Adams, Viola Davis, all four of those were nominated for Oscars that year. Oh my gosh, that movie's incredible. Um, he was on um, a few episodes of a show called The Wizards of Waverly Place. Uh, and then his 2010, then 2013, he's in a movie called The Lifeguard, which I th- who I, th- I think that's a Kristen Bell movie. Uh, he's in a couple episodes of the TV show The League. Uh, and then he's in a movie called Here Comes Rusty in 2016 and in a movie called Sex Guaranteed in 2017. And that's the last credit to his name at this point. Oof. Yeah. He, he was also an associate producer on Sex Guaranteed. So there you go. All right. Well, good for him. I, I I don't I kind of don't want to know what the movie Sex Guaranteed is about, but I also can't not know what the movie Sex Guaranteed is about. Kevin has sworn off sex to win back his former fiance when he meets a beautiful escort named, named Zade. Over the course of a legendary party, Zade must provide the spark that this heartbroken idealist needs to turn his life around. Cool. It sounds terrible. Yep. Thanks. I hate it. And uh, is there anyone else of note in this movie? Steven Dorff is in this movie. Dan Fogler is in this movie. Here's the thing. He's not even the main character in this in this movie. Sex guaranteed. He is he is he is below the line. Poor Polly Lit. All right. So there there's the Polly Lit sidebar. Aren't you glad we did that? Uh, no, I'm not. Uh, what? Uh... What about the chimpanzee? Do we got some IMDb on that chimp, please? Yeah, was, uh, Chim Chim was played by uh, two two chimps, um, one called Willie, uh, who has been his only credit is a movie called Speed Racer from 2008. Uh, the other one, if the back arrow will work for me in my browser, is uh, is a chimpanzee called Kenzie, uh, and Kenzie is a chimpanzee also uh, known for. Uh, their role in the movie Speed Racer. Uh, and those are the only f- only credits that each of them have. So there you go. Okay. Okay. So there you go. Now you know. And knowing is half the battle. G.I. Joe. Thank you for that. No problem. That's great. But yeah. So, I mean, yeah, I, I think the cast is doing pretty, pretty well. Pretty good here. Uh, and again, they all seem to have had a really great um, experience making this film probably would have come back to do it again. So let, let me ask you a question. Is that sure. the guy, uh, what was his name again? The played, uh, evil corporation head guy, Ro- Royalton. Was that Roger Allum? Yeah. Let's talk Roger Allum a little bit. Okay. So do, do you also get extreme Tim Curry vibes off this man? I mean, he's got a Tim Curry character about him, like a, a Tim Curry nest to him for sure. Yeah, I kept thinking, like, did they want Tim Curry to be in this role and they couldn't get him? Like, was it- Well, I mean, Roger Allen is a incredibly well-known British actor. He's classically trained. He's a stage actor. He was the original Javert in Les Miserables and the original West End production of Les Miserables. Um, like, he's an incredibly good actor. Uh, probably best known to American audiences because he was on like a few early episodes of Game of Thrones, uh, playing one of the uh, the 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 bratty Targaryens kind of right hand or like vizier kind of role. Uh, Illyrio Mopatis uh, was his character's name. He's literally in two episodes of the first season. Got a great big beard, but yeah, he's in. 
he's in this film and he also has a role in uh, or had a role in the Wachowski written and produced V for Vendetta film. Speaking of uh, screwing over Alan Moore, he was he was in that film as Louis Prothero, one of the villains in that piece as well. Uh, so he's got kind of this. I think the Wachowskis probably knew him from that and brought him over to this. Um, but I mean, I think if any Tim Curry vibes he's bringing are his own. I don't know if they really wanted Tim Curry or not, but you know, he's he's definitely got the kind of that level of Tim Curry to him. He's also uh, the narrator in a movie that we are absolutely going to be covering on this podcast one day, Inkheart. Speaking of uh, movies based on uh, based on YA, so and he is also in the Meryl Streep winning uh, Oscar winning film, the iron lady. Like he's, he's, he's done some good work and he's probably been seen by American audiences. He was in the, uh, Sir Ian McKellen is, um, Sherlock Holmes movie, Mr. Holmes. Like he, he has a role in that one. So, I mean, he is, he's probably better known in England than he is here, but no, he's, he's a prolific actor. He's got so many credits on IMDb. Uh, a lot of it's TV work, but he's also known for, his his stage work as well uh which is how i knew him first because obviously i'm a i'm a big theater nerd so i knew him as the original javert i think he was in the original west end production of uh la cage of Falais, uh which is uh which translated english is the birdcage the uh the robin williams nathan lane film that was based on the french farce I mean, yeah, like dude, dude is a prolific actor. Uh, and so every time I see him, I'm like, oh, it's Roger Allen. I'm so glad he's in a movie um, and he's still working like he's still he's still getting stuff. He's my dad's age. He's like a month older than my dad. Well, that's cool. I did not know he was such a prolific actor. Yeah. I did not recognize yeah. him at all. So. He is also in um, the the worst parts of the Caribbean movie um, on Stranger Tides, where he plays the prime minister. I'm just saying Roger Allen, uh, but I think he's great in this movie. Like I have so much fun watching him like just go and he, he goes so big. And again, because this movie is what it is, like he's pitched so perfectly, like he is capable of subtlety, but he's not really doing any of that in this movie. And it's perfect. Like it's just perfect for what this movie is. Oh yeah. No, I mean, everything about this movie is, is over the top because it needs to be, because there's right. a lot of this movie that feels like, a live action anime. Like it's mm-hmm. just, the first, the first time I thought that was the scene with the, when racer X is chasing the truck uh, mm. that you think is like, they're in like a building and then you're, you're like, yeah. no, no, this is a moving semi truck that they're inside of. It took me way longer than I care to admit to realize that. <laughs> yeah. And that, that entire, that entire scene just is like pitch perfect anime. Like it's, that's just that entire scene is so anime. It hurts. That's where it hit me that this movie had owed a lot to Dick Tracy. Like, because you've got gangsters in bright primary clothing sitting in a room talking about, you know, the nefarious deeds that they're getting ready to do. And like the moment where they all like spring for their guns, I'm like, Holy shit, this is Dick Tracy. Like that's what this movie is right now. And I am here for it because as, as fans of the show might remember, I really, really love Dick Tracy. That episode was pretty much just me talking about how much I love Dick Tracy and all the cool stuff I learned about Dick Tracy. Yeah. So, I mean, it was. yeah. And there you go. So, that really informs a lot of your opinion about this movie. Yeah. Which is great. And that, and again, like I said, I was, I was laughing pretty much right away. I do want to talk about the opening scene of this movie because I think what they are able to accomplish in terms of storytelling is really incredible. 
because you've got, you pretty much, you understand right away. Speed racer is someone who has always loved cars and always loved his big brother, who is also really good at racing cars. But, and, and at the same time, the entire set piece is him literally chasing the ghost of his brother as he tries to beat his record on that same track. And then we're flashing back to him as a kid watching that race, him as a kid reacting to, well, at the same time, all the announcers who are commenting on speed are talking about Rex and the things that he did that sullied the good name of the sport of racing, et cetera. Um, Like they keep like, and so basically what you're doing is you're laying so much of the foundation, but you're literally baking it into the cake. Like it is like, you can tell that they're doing the work to set all this up, but it's not one of those, okay, this is just an info dump because the Wachowskis have such a dynamic visual style. You're literally watching these events. You're seeing them play out while cutting back and forth to the race that speed is currently running. And I think it's just masterfully done. Like it's a masterclass on how to set up and build a world in a dynamic, visually compelling and emotionally compelling way. Like you get invested in these characters immediately because of how well that is shot, how well that is all composed and put together. Um, Like it's just, it's just phenomenal. And I can't, I can't praise it highly enough. Like it's such an incredible part of this movie. I can't, I can't praise enough either. Cause even I was just in awe of it because by the time you get to the end of, of that scene, you're like, okay, you know, you've got the whole symbolism of him chasing the ghost of his brother and they're telling the story of his brother, but you're also, you're seeing the flashbacks, but it's like, it's his flashback. And then you realize it's, Pops' flashback they were seeing mm-hmm. part of that story. Then you realize it's his mom's flashback and it's telling that part of that story. Mm-hmm. And they they all sort of have the same reaction to these different memories that are also telling the same story that's giving us all the backstory and the lore that we need going forward. It's incredibly compositioned and put together so incredibly well. And then the way that they pay it off in the final scene where he is he's basically cleared to win the race. And then we start cutting back to the poignant scenes in the movie, the discussions that he had with pops, with Royalton, with his mother, um, with his brother, like all these different, like they, they come back in voiceover and cuts and flashbacks so that when the moment he hits that tunnel and those colors start to swirl on you, which again, such incredible visual dynamism, um, like you're you you emotionally you're right back in it again and you understand what this means to him because again you've been on this journey with this character and you've seen him wrestle with being successful versus being an artist and he's chosen on being an artist and made it work on his own merits um which is again what this movie is is all about and trying to say um uh, a shame that we we rejected that lesson but uh it's really freaking good. And I think the way that I, I feel like that's kind of a sister scene to that opening scene. Obviously the second one doesn't go on nearly as long and I don't think it needs to, but again, you have all that payoff and that emotional payoff because it's literally able to rely on those other emotional beats throughout the movie. And it, it, again, I think it pays off like gangbusters. It's so well done. I agree. What What's upsetting though, is as I was doing research is reading some different posts on like Reddit and whatnot of like Mm -hmm. people who will come and defend this movie and be like, it's visually fantastic. It's composed really well, the cinematography, blah, 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 everything we've been saying. 
Mm-hmm. There's still so much cynicism, though, that like people are still saying the story's too earnest. It's too straightforward. It's too feel good. And like, why do you got to be so cynical? Why can't we have just a straightforward? Why can't we point have a nice to point things? B? Why can't we have nice things? It's a feel good story about good triumphing over evil. Like, right. why cannot? Why can we? Why aren't we allowed to have that anymore? Like, I and again, I think part of it is because we have collectively grown too cynical. We ha- we don't we can't allow ourselves to have joy anymore. It physically hurts. Was the con air is 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 the 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 Billy Bedlam like any moment of levity is causes him physical pain. Like I feel that way about whiny piss babies on the internet. Like yes, I you know, and I think the earnestness of the story, and maybe it's just because I've spent so much time digesting David Lynch movies. Um, but I feel like the earnestness helps. Like it tells you the kind of story that you're seeing, um, and the earnestness tells you that you're not watching. A, a regular, regular Hollywood movie from from this era. This is something different. Like the earnestness is an intentional choice on their part. All, not all their stories are that earnest. Like I don't know that I would call the Matrix that earnest of a story. Uh, at least not as straightforwardly earnest as this one is. I would say there is some earnestness to it, but there is also an edge of cynicism to that story. Um, Speed Racer is completely devoid of that. Completely divorced from all of that. And I think it's only to the movie's benefit that it is like, I don't think you can tell a super cynical speed racer story, nor should you tell a super cynical speed racer story. There's no place for that. I want, you know, I I like this movie because it's as earnest as it is. Yeah, because going into that last race, I 100% knew he was going to win it. Yeah, like I knew how the movie was going to end. I didn't care. Mm-hmm. I was like, I just, I love the ride. I know I'm about to see a fantastic race sequence because I've seen mm-hmm. like three of them before. Right. Uh, and this movie has I, prepped you to be really excited about those race sequences. Yeah. So I, I, like, I don't care. Like, we we don't need gray villains with a tragic backstory all the time. Like, it, it could just be a bad guy. Like, can't can't we just have a villain who's who's bad because he's bad chomping away at the scenery? Sometimes you want that. Not all the time. You know, sometimes again, if done well, and I think this is done particularly well, like I don't know that I would I would necessarily go for this in another format. But again, because it's the Wachowskis who are who know what they're about in terms of how they tell a story and they can tell a story very well. Like this slaps, this absolutely rules. Like I had so much fun with this movie and I think a lot of it is the, the Wachowskis and their command of tone and their ability to, you know, tell these really engaging stories with these really complex and incredible visuals. Like, yeah, it we're, we're, we're a cynical society and I don't think we need to be. Everyone should just shut up and watch, uh, watch some more David Lynch. Everyone needs to go on Disney Plus and watch The Straight Story um, and thank me later because that movie is just that movie is just 90 minutes of catharsis is what that movie is. <laughs> I should do that. I haven't seen it. I should go do that. Uh, you will cry. Uh, and it's it's great. I, I was never more happy to cry at a movie than I was with The Straight Story. Um, it freaking killed me. And it's so good. Like, I love it. Uh, I'm sorry. It's an hour and 52 minutes of sheer catharsis, but it's, it's so good. Um, it's, it's about an old man who, who drives, uh, 
not all the way across the country, but way, way further than he should uh, on a lawnmower to uh, to see his brother who is sick. Like and it okay. is it is maybe the most sincere movie ever committed to film. And part of that is the David Lynch of it. I'm sure part of it is the script. But, you know, David Lynch just is a super sincere filmmaker. He he gets this the we're not talking about this is not a David Lynch episode, but I love David Lynch so much just in terms of his sincerity as a filmmaker. Like he in like part of what makes made those that first season of Twin Peaks click was his sincerity like the there is not a false note in any of those characters and part of it is because of the sincerity that lynch imbues them with um and i think it's the same thing for the straight story he gets the reputation of being like a really obtuse really obscure filmmaker um i don't think he is i just think he's trying to tell a story in an unconventional way and the I don't really try to figure out David Lynch movies anymore. I just kind of surrender myself to David Lynch movies. I have a lot more fun with David Lynch movies if I just surrender myself to them. But the straight story, nothing there to figure out, man. It is, again, it's it's David Lynch making a G-rated Disney movie. And so it is every bit as sincere as you would expect. It's great. I love it. Go watch the straight story, everybody. And then watch Speed Racer again, because Speed Racer also rules. Like those are, that honestly would make a really good double feature straight story and speed racer sincere movies about people driving you're just gonna be in a great mood afterwards that's all maybe maybe you will i don't know i here's the i cried like three times in the straight story like that that movie that movie hit me where i live man it well, was watch, i was watch watch that one first then watch i mean speed it did racer come out second first. yeah yeah but you know, just very sincere movies about people driving. It's it it's a great. You'll have a great time. It's wonderful. So there it is. There's 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 Speed Racer. Brett, anything else you want to say about Speed Racer? I would love to, Stephen, because now is the usual time where we talk about the video game of it all. Because, oh snap! Because this is, I mean, it's based on anime, right? So of course there's video games. Sure. But surprisingly enough, we didn't get any video games until the '90s. So welcome to Brett's Video Game Corner, everybody. We're going to talk about the Speed Racer video games. Uh, first up, uh, 1995, we get Speed Racer and the Challenge of Racer X. Ah. Um, originally, originally going to be released on the Sega Genesis, but was only released on MS-DOS. Okay. Uh, yeah, really weird. Interesting. Uh, yeah. Um, so not a whole lot of people played that one. But a couple years later, we get, or no, that was 93, 94. We get uh, Speed Racer in My Most Dangerous Adventures on the Super Nintendo, mm-hmm. uh, released by Radical Entertainment. And that's, you know, so a lot of these games, they're going to just be very similar to racing games you may have played before. Uh, we're talking mm-hmm. like Outrun, Pole Position, games like that. Mario Kart. Um, Mario Kart. Um, then, uh, 95, 96, uh, we, on the PlayStation you're going to get a nine, uh, a speed, just a straight speed racer game. This one is more like Ridge Racer, those kind of racing games. Uh, and then we actually get a movie tie-in video game. Okay, I was um, going to say, this is kind of peak time for that. It is, yeah. So on the Wii and the Nintendo DS, uh, we get Speed Racer, the video game based entirely on the movie. Uh, so all the racing has all the cool gadgets and all the fancy driving and jumping around and the uh what apparently a lot of people refer to as car foo um okay 
which I would say there is some of in this movie. Yeah. Uh, but that's unfortunately, that's the last time we got a Speed Racer game. So makes sense. I mean, Speed Racer, this movie kind of put to bed any any hope of Speed Racer kind of surging back into the public consciousness, unfortunately. Unfortunately, yeah. But I mean, it's it's it, I, I was surprised at how little it was adapted into video game format because of it's just it's just perfect for it. Mm-hmm. But, you know, that happens sometimes. It's just like Ender's Game. I was also surprised there weren't any Ender's Game video games. But right. That seems like one particularly that would lend itself well to like a like a. One of those like turn based strategy kind of games Ender's Game does. Exactly. Yeah. But, you know. Never got it for whatever reason, but uh, yeah. if you've still got a Wii, if you still have a Nintendo DS, uh, go check out the Speed Racer video game because it looks like a lot of fun. I wish I'd played it. There's probably an emulator you can find somewhere on the internet. Uh, newer newer gen console emulators are definitely much harder to find than older ones, but if you can find one, sure. All right. Tucker, we're calling you up from calling you up into the big leagues again, buddy. Brett needs your help. I mean, I'm not going to bother I mean, he can find one. We'll post it for the fans on the Twitter. Sure, I'm sure. not going to go out of my way to play anything like that on an emulator. All right, fair enough. You know how hard it is to play something meant for a controller on a keyboard, Stephen? I don't know. It's very hard. I'll okay. Tell you, it's I'll, very hard. I'll take your word for it. Especially on the Wii or the Nintendo DS, who have very specific peripherals where, like, it's, you know, it's the nunchuck on the Wii or Wii. the touchscreen of the DS. Uh, doesn't really translate well to a keyboard and a PC. Sure. Very, very sorry to tell you. Oh, touche. So uh, Speed Racer comes out May 9th, 2018, the year of our Lord 20 or 2008. Rather, I said 2018. I'm very tired. Also, um, the year of our Lord 2008, it opens to eighteen point six million dollars uh, and ends up at fifty three point nine. Uh, million. So um, its opening weekend, it gained almost half of its total domestic gross um, with the worldwide or with the international box office of uh, just shy of 50, about 49.4 million. Uh, you're looking at a worldwide uh, gross of 93.4. So doesn't quite get to um, doesn't quite get up to 100 million, but comes pretty close. It is. So I, previously I had said Iron Man was in its eighth weekend. It's its second weekend opening wide, but Iron Man is is still number one at the box office. Um, it has earned up to this point $177.8 million. So in two weeks, it has already uh, done more than what Speed Racer would end up doing. Uh, in second place, Speed Racer, as we said earlier, was third. Uh, in second place is a little movie called What Happens in Vegas? which is uh, the Cameron Diaz Ashton Kutcher rom-com with the tagline, get lucky. That's the one where they, uh, I think get married in Las Vegas or something. And then like have to stay married in order to get money and then end up figuring out for all of each other. When I say fuck right off (laughs) that movie earns 20 million and it's opening weekend. Um, in third place, of course, the movie we've been talking about for the last hour or so, Speed Racer. Uh, in fourth place is the Patrick Dempsey, Michelle Monaghan rom-com Made of Honor. 
which is, Patrick Dempsey is apparently M- made spelled M A D E of honor. A guy in love with an engaged woman tries to win her over after she asks him to be her maid of honor. <laughs> that was when we were trying to make Patrick Dempsey happen. Stop trying to make Patrick Dempsey happen. It's not going to happen. No, uh, and in, Thank God. And, and in the number five spot down from third in its third weekend is the Amy Poehler, uh, Tina Fey comedy, Baby Mama, which I saw in theaters. I uh, saw that one in theaters. That that one's got a really funny Steve Martin performance, I remember. Uh, but that one has grossed uh, $40.8 million so far. Uh, rounding out the top 10, you've got Forgetting Sarah Marshall, uh, Harold and Kumar Escape from Guantanamo Bay. Brett, you remember when they used to make comedies? Vaguely. It's a long yeah. time ago. Um, so I was listening to, not to bring up another podcast again, but I was listening to the blank check special features Patreon the other day and they're doing the Santa Claus movies and Griffin talks about why they don't make more comedies anymore. It's because everything's geared toward the international box office and comedy doesn't translate. Um, so we don't really get comedies anymore uh, because they don't have any overseas potential because uh, they make everything for the worldwide box office now, which is a hell of a bummer. I, I mostly agree the comedies we were starting to get near the end of the comedy movie uh, gener- generation, John era, whatever, mm-hmm. um, were Words. not good. I mean, not, touche. I mean, look at look at that list you just read off. All of those are garbage, except maybe for forgetting Sarah Marshall, uh, which has it's it it has its moments. I, I don't think it's quite as good in retrospect. It's you know, it's not one of those I think aged particularly well. Yeah, well, I, I did say maybe. Maybe no, not shy. definitively, but yeah, all of those are bad. All of those are bad movies. Uh, speaking of bad, take, I don't know. I don't know. Your mileage on this one may vary in eighth place down from six the week before in uh, in its fourth weekend is the Jackie Chan film, The Forbidden Kingdom. Uh, what if there was a forbidden king? That's the Jackie Chan Jet Li movie. It was like the, the, the big deal was that they were in a movie together. Uh, and then in ninth place, you've got uh, Nims Island which was, uh, I think, a kid's movie. Uh, and then in 10th place is the a movie we will probably cover on this podcast one of these days, uh, the remake of Prom Night, uh, currently in its fifth weekend. One of those weird non-October, uh, I guess it was to coincide with proms in like March and April, but yeah. Yeah, but also is, part uh, of the early 2000s horror movie remake boom. Which we have talked about on this podcast before. And We'll talk about on this podcast again. One of these days, we're just going to make uh, remakes our entire like spooky thon lineup. We'll just do a whole month of horror remakes from that era. I think that'd be pretty fun. It would. Yeah, we certainly could. Yeah, absolutely could. Uh, the Tomatometer score on this movie is an egregious 41%. Uh, the critics consensus overloaded with headache inducing special effects. Speed Racer finds the Wachowskis focused on visual thrills at the expense of a coherent storyline, which is... Uh, unfair and once again i would say i think i speak for all of us when i say fuck off (laughs) yeah that's going to be a hard disagree for me as well uh the meta score on this one is 37 based on generally unfavorable reviews from 37 critics and uh the letterboxd score on this one is a 3.2 brett out of five stars, given the opportunity, how would you rate 2008's Speed Racer? I'm going to give it four and a half. You know what, Brett? I am too. I'm also going to give this movie four and a half. Uh, Cause Huzzah! what a joy. 
what a joy this movie was. And I'm going to put it down as one that we like on our Letterboxd. So there you go. Um, that's what we have to say. Uh, this movie freaking rules, and I kind of love it. Same. Absolutely. It's not I perfect. Mean, it has some problems. Let's be sure. honest. It's not a perfect movie. I didn't but give it a fun. five. But right. it's fun. It's very fun. It's it's the kind of movie that you wish they made more of these days and the kind of movie they will probably never make again, unfortunately. I really I really wish that weren't true. I really want to say, and you're wrong about that, Stephen, but I don't think you are, and it's really upsetting. Yeah, it's it's it seems very much like something that it's an era of a bygone time, and we probably have seen the last of movies like this getting made. <laughs> Which is a bummer because uh, this was really fun. Prove us wrong, Hollywood, please. Yeah, please, please, and thank you. Um, and hey, maybe, uh, maybe we'll see um, Lily do some, or is it Lana? Lana's directing the new one. Lana, maybe we'll see Lana do some some cool new stuff with the new Matrix movie that will reinvigorate Hollywood's interest in uh, their specific brand of filmmaking. I, I hope that could also be true as well because. Yeah, this was a lot of fun, and I'm going to spend the next couple of weeks uh, watching um, the rest of their oeuvre to try to get ready for Matrix Resurrections, so I can say that I watched all the Wachowski movies this this, this year, so yeah. Yeah, I'm really hoping they can they can come back, both of them, not just not just Lana, just, oh, both of them can yeah. come back and sort of, sort of re- rewrite the ship from the inside, like, okay, I'll come mm-hmm. back and do what you guys love i'll give you your we'll come back to a nostalgic ip i'll do that but only if that lets me do more but here's artistic the thing stuff later it feels like they're going to use that as a uh, that that lana in particular is going to use that as a jumping off point to tell another weird crazy wild story which is what the first matrix was all about anyway you use this one weird idea to tell this Honestly, the story itself is fairly straightforward, but it's the trappings. It's the way that it was told that was really wild and crazy. And uh, maybe they can maybe they can do it again. I don't know. I'm, I'm hoping they can. I hope so. And then, like I said, use it as a jumping off point to right the ship. Maybe That's what I want. Steer us out of superhero hell. But don't be wrong. Yeah. I love I love superhero hell. Don't get me wrong. I mean, Sure. I love a good MCU movie. I'm watching the hell out of Hawkeye right now, and it's fantastic. I love it. I I but haven't gotten past the first episode yet. I need to watch more. It's really good, but I like okay. And don't get me wrong. I'm in it. I, I love the MCU, and I'm mired in superhero hell, and I'm loving every second of it. But at the same time, could we get a little bit of variety? Mm-hmm. Just, yeah. just a Remember, skosh, just I an boosh of difference. I mean, just look at that top ten. You've got. Um, action blockbusters you've got rom-coms you've got i mean in number 11 was a david mamet martial arts movie starring chiwetel ejiofor and tim allen i mean like it doesn't get more diverse and and wild than that like i mean there there was a time when we could make more than one kind of movie uh and i don't think that we have that anymore like marvel uses the whole oh well we're using these characters to tell different kinds of stories but you're really not though you're, you're telling the same story with like the trappings of other genre movies is what really what you're doing, but you're not, I mean, you know, Captain America winter soldier is still a superhero movie. Even if you were inspired by last days, of the condor, you know, like Shang-Chi is still a superhero movie. Even if you're inspired by, you know, the, the, the Wuxia and Kung Fu movies. Um, 
that that were were popular 30 40 years ago you know it's still it's still a superhero movie like you can't you can't tell me it's not a superhero movie don't piss on my leg and tell me it's raining marvel come on come on kevin mr feige sir <laughs> papa feige <laughs> but don't don't insult the feige <laughs> That's I mean, we do know he's a, an avid listener, which means this is why he should take us seriously. Yeah, he could have this whole thing shut down if we piss him off. So let's, let's not do that. Yeah. yeah, we'll go pirate radio, man. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. All right. Well, speaking of pirate radio, uh, you should you should check out our uh, our Patreon, DisenfranchPod, uh, patreon.com slash DisenfranchPod. Uh, like we said, we had a really great... Ha- have had slash will have a really great conversation with our good friend, Hope Lickner about matrix revolutions that drop would have dropped yesterday as of the release of this episode at our $5 level. Plus if you join at the $3 level, uh, you can hear uh, our most recent uh, disenfranch or disenfranchised episode where we count down our top five Christmas songs just in time for the holiday season to commence. So that is a thing that we did also. Um, and then we've got um, another Christmas inspired list dropping on Christmas Day. So, you know, we've, we've got what? some cool stuff. What? So we've got some cool stuff coming for you uh, over there. Uh, in the meantime, you can follow us on social media. We are on Twitter, Instagram, Letterboxd, and Facebook at DisenfranchPod. Shoot us an email, disenfranchpod at gmail.com. Uh, let us know what you think. Suggest uh, an upcoming failed franchise starter or maybe even a theme month that you would like to see us cover. Uh, we're open to suggestions. And uh, also, you can uh, leave us a five-star, please, rating and review on your podcatcher of choice, but most especially if that uh, podcatcher is Apple Podcasts, because that's going to do quite a bit of work in getting us seen and heard by other people like yourself. Uh, And we would, we like you, and so we're pretty sure other people like you would be cool too. So, uh, you know, let them know. Um, In the meantime, I'm your host, Stephen Foxworthy. You can find me on uh, Twitter, Instagram, and Letterboxd at Chewy Walrus. Brett, what about you? You can find me on Twitter, Instagram, and Letterboxd. Sometimes. Uh, sometimes. No, sometimes. Not often. Not very often, no. I'm, I'm trying to be better about it. I swear I am. I know. Uh, there was that one time where I, I mocked you about it for so long that you just rallied and like did like 20 of them in one day. Yeah. And I feel like that's disingenuous because I want to write reviews for the movies I watch, not just go in and sure. just hammer them out like star. Just, okay, I like this one. I like this My one. reviews are usually just a couple sentences long anyway, so it doesn't have to be anything grandiose. No. But uh, but you can find me there um, at uh, sus underscore warlock. Fantastic. Well, we are now halfway through the month of December. We've still got two more episodes to come, and they happen to correspond with a couple of upcoming holidays. Uh, so if you need a clue, uh, you can check out our Twitter feed or our Instagram feed or our Facebook feed. And we've got clues in all four places as to what those last couple of movies would be. Or if you become a patron at any level, uh, we pretty much tell you what we're doing for the month. So uh, you can swing over and check out our Patreon as well. Patreon.com slash disenfranchpod as well. Become a patron at any level and you get access to those, the answers to those hints. So you know exactly what's coming in the next two weeks. Um, but until next time, uh, when we might uh, bring you a little holiday cheer, um, I am your host, Stephen Foxworthy. This is the disenfranchpod. This is the Disenfranchised Podcast. I'm Stephen Foxworthy. For my co-host, Brett Wright, and myself, go Speed Racer, go Speed Racer, go Speed Racer, go!